This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by the University of Wollongong. UOW's flexible Master of Education course, combining face-to-face and online learning, is more achievable than ever for educators and professionals who want to upskill while working. Apply now at go.uaw.edu.au forward slash master hyphen ed. Hello, I'm Jo Herb. What sort of learning environments does your school have? Are you making the best use of your teaching space? My guest on the Research Files this month is Wes Imms, Associate Professor in the Melbourne Graduate School of Education and Lead Chief Investigator of the Innovative Learning Environments and Teacher Change Project. Over the next four years, the research team will be investigating how teachers are using these environments to improve student learning outcomes, and they'll be sharing strategies and best practice. So uh, let's start, first of all, then, by looking at that terminology. When you say innovative learning environments, what exactly do we mean by that? The um, people mistakenly think that innovative learning environments is the same as the 1970s open classroom <laughs> type um, structures. They are quite different. Open classrooms tended to have sort of a free-range, um, kids-go-anywhere sort of feel to them, very large open spaces. Innovative learning environments differ because the intent of how the space is used differs. The um, innovative learning environments can be characterised as having um, very flexible physical spaces, so you'll actually find within a, a particular place that you have got everything from large spaces for didactic teaching, where a teacher stands at the front and teaches everybody, through to facilities for group work, through to breakaway spaces for groups of, say, 10 students to move, through to very quiet spots where two people can sit and work, and even through to almost like um, retreat-type little huddle spots where a person go and work. That's the physical sort of characteristics of them. Um, and in terms of, um, of other, other type of affordances, you're also looking at um, a really high level of, of information computer technology infusion, so, you know, good Wi-Fi and lots of whiteboards, lots of, of interactive spaces and access to all of the fantastic things that, um, you know, that um, um, technology provides for kids to be able to move. Overarching all of that, you do go back to that basic principle of the open classroom movement, which is actually kids have to be allowed to be able to find the people they need to work with to solve particular problems. And they need to be able to work with the people they need to work. They need to be given facilities to be able to... To, um, to move off and to do things when they feel like they need them. So a particular teacher won't necessarily be the best teacher to solve a particular problem, even though she, you had students' um, um, timetable to be with that teacher. This, these sorts of facilities allow the kids to move off and find those teachers. And the other issue, of course, is it works the other way around as well. The teachers, if they're teaching something, can actually then go and isolate children and students in particular places to focus on very particular tasks. So it's that whole notion of being, as the name says, very flexible. That's, that, that is the characteristic of an innovative learning environment. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the four-year Innovative Learning Environments and Teacher Change Project. That's its title. It was launched this year, and it will run until 2019. Then. You're the lead chief investigator of that, but it's, it's actually what's called a linkage project, isn't it? So can you just give a brief overview of the kind of people and the organisations that it will involve? Yeah. We are um, linking up with industry partners, mm-hmm manufacturing partners, policy partners, school partners in this. So we have about 15 different partner organisations. It's actually one of the biggest ARC linkages ever run. 
the um, 15 partner organisations span policy. So we have people like New Zealand Ministry of Education, Queensland Education Department and um, New South Wales, etc, etc. So those policy type people are very, very interested in this project because they are putting millions of dollars into designing innovative learning environments. And while the designs are fantastic and they're being built and put out there, the worry is, are they actually being used the way that they can mm -hmm. be used, you know, the huge potential they have? And that's why they are investing in this project. We also have partnerships with people like Steelcase Furniture from the United States, um, who obviously have offices here in, in Melbourne, um, and Telstra Australia, um, mm -hmm. Hayball Architects, people like that, Ecofon, which is a Swedish um, uh, um, acoustics firm. They're very interested in, in the industry side of it. So if we're going to build these spaces, what is it the clients need to make them work better? And how can these sort of people develop their own products to fit better in? And then, of course, the third category of people we're working with are, are what we call research-focused schools. You know, we have Woodley School here in Victoria. We've got South Australian Science and Mathematics School in South Australia. We've got Anglican Church Grammar School or Churchy in Brisbane. These are schools who've got an established history of, of wanting to undertake research to improve the practice within the school. Mm -hmm. And each of those have got a particular interest in the built environment. So that's sort of the combination. And then, of course, there's the research team. We have something like about 20, 23 researchers. You know, we've got um, eight chief investigators, of which I'm just one. Um, you know, we've got research fellows. We've got, um, we've got research fellows situated in Queensland and New Zealand. Um, and we have, um, at the moment, five PhDs, but might well have seven soon to undertake all this work. So it's a huge team. Mm -hmm. uh, just a name check there, the AARC, uh, for those that, that are not aware, that's the Australian Research Council, isn't it? That's, that's right. the main funder. Um, so as we mentioned there, it's four years. Lots of different things happen in, in different phases of the project. There are, As I understand it, then, there are three stages. So what will be the focus for each of those? <laughs> we... Um, Ultimately, what the project is about is to get teachers to actually teach us what works and doesn't work in these environments. Some teachers are fantastic at using these environments. Some don't have any idea of what they're capable of doing, and there are a lot that are in between. So the project is designed to actually elicit from teachers the best practices and to use those best practices then to develop up strategies that allow us to share those practices more widely. And then finally, if we do share the strategies more widely, do they work? Are they helping teachers to use space better in terms as a pedagogical tool? So this, the project has three stages. The first stage, for about a year and a half, is baseline data. So in other words, it's finding out from schools what's actually happening out there. How many of these environments actually exist? What do they look like? Um, how are teachers feeling like they use them? Do they feel like they're using them well or they're not? Um, and also then sending out the PhD students to do case studies to say, well, in reality, what's really happening? And from that, we get not only an idea of what's happening out there, but we also get an idea of the sorts of things that are really working well, those innovative practices that teachers are developing in these spaces. And of course, we can marry those with theoretical practices that we as researchers think ought to happen as well. And from that, we build up a bunch of strategies. The second phase is making those strategies into what we're calling a toolbox, but it's a whole bunch of professional development learning, it's a bunch of um, resources, it's a bunch of of all sorts of activities that teachers can undertake to use these spaces better to help them improve their practice. Um, and that's the, the middle section. And then the third section is then trialling those in as many schools as we can, let's say a 1,000, across New Zealand and Australia, mm -hmm. to say, OK, if you go to a regional centre, if you go to an inner city centre, if you go to a private school, if you go to a, a public school, do these strategies work? Do they help teachers use space better? 
what are the implications then for educators and school leaders and of course we, we haven't mentioned yet but the students? The product from this, while it's both theory based, it's also extremely important that it's practice based mm -hmm. and it's focused for teachers because actually that's where it matters the most. Ultimately what we're after is improvement in student learning. Um, and so in research terms we have two dependent variables. In other words, the dependent variable is the thing you, you're trying to affect change in. And the two things we're looking at, one is teachers' mind frames. Mm -hmm. So how, do, how can we get teachers to reconceptualise their teaching to make the most of space as one of the pedagogical tools? And the second dependent variable is students' deep learning. If we do that, then does that actually have a difference in students' deep learning? And by deep learning we mean um, a lot of schools are very good at what you'd call superficial learning, which is you know, teaching towards getting good ATAR scores or doing well on the NAPLAN test. And studies show that often students, when they get given those tests six months afterwards, score much lower than they did previously. And that's a characteristic of superficial learning where you're teaching towards a result. Deep learning is where you not only do that, but you also add to it mechanisms whereby students um, are able to um, utilise that knowledge in a myriad of ways and apply them in different contexts, different settings, and effectively learn to learn. So in six months' time, not only do they remember the basic concepts, but also by then they would have moved those concepts into a myriad of other different aspects and, and parts of their own personal learning. So that's why it's important, because effectively, when it comes down to it, we're trying to improve um, the deep learning characteristics embedded within these spaces. Mm -hmm. um, some schools are still designing and still building. In mm -hmm. fact, um, infrastructure investment is increasing in schools. We went through the building the education revolution where it was something like $14 billion mm -hmm. put into schools, largely because the speed that had to be done was done without enough consultation with teachers. Um, what's happening now is schools, because they're falling down and need fixing, if you're going to build, let's build to latest best practice. Right. And for instance, in New Zealand, they're mandating innovative learning environments as the, as the school model. And right. um, so for that reason, um, it is part of the project and part of our thinking within our, our learning environment applied research network, so LEARN, that's the research group here at Melbourne University that um, is doing all of this sort of work. Our central sort of thrust um, is to make sure that there is a really strong alignment between the design of a facility and the pedagogical requirements and the learning has to come from it. So ideally what happens is teachers talk to architects um, about the space and the architects then design it well and then the teachers move in and use it and then comes that long-term what I call inhabitation and that is you're working with teachers over a period of time to maximise the usefulness of the space. Um, so it's, it's actually, it's, it's not as simple as saying an architect will give us a lovely school now we've got to move into it. It yep. ought to be that teachers are actively involved from the very first conceptualisation through to still rethinking it five, ten years after having moved in. That's truly what this project ought to be trying to facilitate. Uh, finally then, before we finish, I know that you're very keen to hear from educators and students uh, as well. How can they get involved in, in the next uh, four years? Um, feel free to contact us and have a conversation with us, if you'd like to, about what's happening. Um, and there are phases of the actual upcoming research that will be open to more than just the partner organisation schools. Um, in the first two phases of the project we're working on, we have to restrict ourselves to partner organisation schools, but within that we have more than 6,000 schools at our disposal. Um, but in the final phase we're very keen on having really good cross-representation of spaces. If you think that your school would um, be a really good site to try some of these strategies in 2018, then contact us now and um, get on our mailing list. 
Excellent. Uh, well, we'll watch with interest uh, the uh, continuation and the progress in the project. But for now, uh, Wesins, thank you very much for joining the research files. A pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by Teacher Magazine, supported by the University of Wollongong. Stands for Purpose. UOW's Master of Education is more achievable than ever for educators and professionals who want to upskill while working. The flexible course combines face-to-face and online learning. Apply at go.uow.edu.au forward slash master hyphen ed. Check out the full podcast transcript and related reading at www.teachermagazine.com.au. To download all the Teacher Magazine podcasts for free, head to acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or www.soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer.